0: This is the North Georgia Life Podcast. Embrace life where you live. Welcome to the North Georgia Life Podcast. Today's episode is at Bistro Off-Broad in Winder, Georgia. Now, a lot of us, when we think of great locations for that special date night or a wedding anniversary or a birthday celebration or whatever, some of us may not think about the town of Winder, Georgia, as being a great spot for hosting such an event uh, for a special day for that special someone in our life. I'm telling you, when you walk in to Bistro Off-Broad in Winder, it is going to knock your socks off. It is so just, I mean, just the inside is gorgeous. Honestly, it reminds me of one of the first restaurants, first jobs I ever had in Pennsylvania. Uh, I was at a high-end restaurant, and when you walk into those restaurants, they have a a feel and a motif that is different than, you know, even your high-end chain restaurants, you know, the ones that are really nice. It's completely different, and you know when you have an ambiance like that, your food is going to be like out of sight. And that's what everybody wants for that special date. You want a place that is a beautiful location setting, but you also want the food to be like spectacular. And you have both with Bistro. So before we get started, I just want to say thank you for those of you who are sharing this. We are getting uh, new listeners almost every week uh, with new downloads of episodes, and so this is something that, as we are kind of taking inventory of our our quarantine status right now, uh, with everything going on with coronavirus and all that sort of stuff, what a great opportunity to get more familiar with. Uh, restaurants, small businesses, nonprofits, locations for taking the family out for a day trip in our area, than just listening to some of the episodes. Again, all of these are going to be locally owned small businesses. And so, as we are all becoming more and more cognizant of supporting our local communities, this is one of those outlets where you can really, really do a great work in your local community and get plugged in to some staple elements and some new elements of our North Georgia region. You know where to find us online, North Georgia Life Podcast, on Facebook and Instagram. You can always email us at Podcast at gmail.com. If you have questions, suggestions for future episodes, or anything else we can help you out with, we'd be happy to. So with that, we'll get started with Chef Alex at Beaster Off-Broad. Welcome to the North Georgia Life Podcast, it's Jake your host and today we are at a location that I am very excited about because I have had probably three or four people in the last two to three months that have mentioned this place as one of their favorite places in our North Georgia region and so we are here today with Chef, Executive Chef Alex Alex Friedman. Uh, at Bistro Off-Broad in Winder, Georgia. Winder is a town that is uh, growing uh, massively. I told somebody a few about a month ago or so that if I was going to start a new business in our area and didn't really have a perfect place picked out, downtown Winder would be one of those locations that I would seriously look at because of the growth and, and frankly, the type of businesses that are opening up in this neck of the woods. So, with that, Alex, I know you're busy. We've got a lot to talk about, so I don't want to waste too much time with the intro. Thanks for your time. Oh, my pleasure. I'm glad to be here. So, let's start out with where does where does Chef Alex come from? How, have you always had a cooking gene in you? is uh, this something that you dreamed of
1: when you were a kid? No, not necessarily. I grew up in a small town outside Indianapolis called Plainfield, Indiana. Okay. Very reminiscent to kind of what Winder is, although not that kind of mountain townish. It was mm. more of, you know that midwestern town, but it was yeah. still that that old school um, town. You know, the, the old movie theater right in downtown. Mm-hmm. You know, with the red seats that folded <laughs> down that were super uncomfortable. and <laughs> always had a spring right. broken in them. That's um, right. You know, graduating class of like you know two hundred and seventy-five people. Uh-huh. Um, so I grew up in a really art, artistic household, and mm. I originally um, graduated from high school. I went to college as a Art major in ceramics and mixed-media and sculpture. Okay. Um, So I thought that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to be an artist. Yeah. And I went off to college and realized about a year into it that I just wasn't really happy with the medium that I was working in. I just wasn't inspired by Mm -hmm. what I was doing. Um, and, And kind of rewinding a little bit, you know, I got my first job when i was about 14 years old in a restaurant i was mm-hmm. a busboy and yep. a and a dishwasher and then from there i kind of moved up to a prep cook and from prep cook i went to a line cook and i just kind of i was a short order cook and that's what i did through high school uh to make a living and uh, when i went off to college you know i got i think i got a shorter job my first job at in college i was a fry cook at hooters <laughs> okay. um, you know, i was you know 18 years old this is like 1996 yeah so, you know in my mind i thought i get to hang out with all the the cute, yeah. the cute Hooters girls and the man <laughs> not, not, not realizing that the cute Hooters girls did not want to hang out with the fry cook that was there until two in the morning and stunk like fried chicken wings. Yeah. So after I ended up, after I dropped out of, uh, of art school, I, uh, I kind of traveled around for a little while. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I got in a car and drove from Indiana to California and back and stayed in campsites and just kind of piddled around and ended up back in the same town that I'd gone to college in, which mm-hmm. was Evansville, Indiana. Mm-hmm. And I got a job at a restaurant that was called the petroleum club, which was a part of the club corporation of america cca Uh they own you know massive members only clubs and golf courses all over the country and this was one of those restaurants that was on the top floor of the old national bank building Mm. right in downtown evansville you know again we're talking 90 98 now 97. you know the the servers were still wearing tuxedos and they were still filleting fish table side and Mm. bananas fosters and chairs jubilee i mean the whole you know uh, celebrity chef explosion had not happened yet like the food network had just come into existence at that point. And again, I started off as, you know, a dishwasher prep cook from prep cook. I went to garmage or salads and desserts. And then from there I went to, you know, the grill and then I went to saute. And then one day after about a year, the chef, um, who I'll never forget, his name is Joe Taylor. He pulled me into his office one day and he said, you know, listen, Alex, you've got two options in your life right now. Mm. That's the way I see it. Option one is that, you accept my offer as sous chef of this restaurant and I'll pay you $500 a week salary, which at, you know, 18, 19 years old in 1996 seemed like a fortune. Yeah. <clears throat> or you, uh, you go to culinary school. And my response to that question or that statement was, you know, what's culinary school? I had no idea. Right. I didn't even know. And he said, well, that's where you, you go to learn how to be a chef. And I said, well, I thought that you just worked in a restaurant long enough that people just started, <laughs> call, started calling you chef. I had no clue. I really had no idea about this, like this, this structure of how, how restaurants and chefs worked and whatnot. And so I took that to heart, and I went home, and I started doing some research. I ended up applying to both the CIA in upstate New York mm-hmm. and Johnson & Wales. Okay. and was accepted to both schools, but opted to go um, to, to, to the Charleston campus. In Charleston, South Carolina, of mm-hmm. Johnson and Wales because I didn't want to deal with the cold winters of upstate New York. Yeah,
0: um, yeah, that is is a pretty campus. I've been there <coughs> one time. Excuse it's me. a it's a beautiful location, but yes, cold winters. Yeah. So <laughs>
1: so I packed up, you know, my car full of stuff, and I found an apartment down there, and mm-hmm. I enrolled in school, and I drove, you know, however, you know, twelve hours from Evansville, Indiana, to mm-hmm. Charleston, South Carolina, and I started culinary school because I was a Club Corporation of America guy. I was able to transfer down there to one of their um, golf courses. Yeah. Um, so I had a job when I got there. Of course, I was in like the clubhouse making you know, literally club sandwiches right. for golfers. It wasn't really <laughs> you know, the, the pinnacle of my culinary career. Right. And from there, I, I, you know, I, I left Club Corps. I went and worked at a really nice high-end seafood restaurant there while I went to culinary school, and got promoted to sous chef, and then they transferred me over to one of their other restaurants. Um, and you know, I was going to school seven o'clock in the morning until mm-hmm. three o'clock in the afternoon, and then going straight to work and working until one o'clock in the morning as a sous chef uh graduated from culinary school, I went to the Biltmore Estate in Asheville, North Carolina, cool. as an intern at first, um, eventually being promoted up to um, a sous chef role there. And after a few years of being in Asheville at the Biltmore, I kind of realized that you know, Asheville, again, we're talking about um, you know 2001, 2002 now, mm-hmm. Asheville hadn't really exploded to the city that it is now. It was right. the culinary mecca that it's slowly becoming. So there really wasn't anywhere for me to go. You know, I mean, I had reached at 22 years old I had kind of reached the pinnacle or 23 years old of how far I was going to go in right. Asheville, North Carolina. Right. Like, there wasn't like all these restaurant jobs and chef jobs out there. And no one was going to promote a 23-year-old kid to an executive chef position at the Biltmore. Right. So I, I left and I came to Atlanta. Um, it seemed like the most logical place for me to go. Mm-hmm. I needed to get to a big city where there was more things happening with food and more opportunities for me to grow as a chef. I didn't know that... Um, Atlanta was going to explode the way that it has right. over the course of the last 18 years yeah. since I've been here. I got a job at a, I, I applied online and, um, and came down and interviewed at a, a small French bistro in um, Roswell, right downtown Roswell on Canton Street called Pastis. Mm-hmm. And I was the sous chef there under a, a great chef named Richard Wilt um, for about a year And then an opening came at their sister restaurant in Buckhead called Anise Bistro, which was kind of like one of the premier small locally owned French bistros in all of Atlanta, right in downtown Buckhead. And um, and so I was offered the position as the chef there. And I went down there, I was the chef there for uh, about a year and a half before a friend of mine uh, and I partnered up and we started to open our own restaurant, Mm -hmm. which was right in downtown Atlanta, um, in the Old Fourth Ward area at the time was you know, it was not a safe area in any way, shape, or form. It was pretty bad, pretty mm-hmm. rough, um, but we saw a vision and had an idea, and we opened our restaurant, it was called Pachine, and we were kind of the first of our kind there, and we watched this neighborhood flourish and grow around us. And then in 2014, the neighborhood had, had really gentrified, like crazy, and I don't know if you go into Atlanta much, or if you know the Inman Park area, but mm-hmm. that whole area just exploded with the Inman, Inman Park Quarter and all these giant restaurant groups like Ford Fry mm-hmm. and, and MF Sushi and um, the Barcelona Wine Bar groups and whatnot. They all announced they're going to be opening these you know giant restaurants in the area, and we knew as a small kind of mom and pop's place that we were going to take a massive hit. Yeah. So we decided to sell the restaurant. Well, the timing was good and the mm-hmm. and the value was high, and you know we did a, a nine year run, which is pretty good. I yeah. Was, 27 years old when I opened up my, yeah, my no restaurant. Kidding. Yeah. So <clears throat> I think that to make it nine years and to walk away, um, we were pretty good. So I left and went into the corporate world for a while, a mm-hmm. couple of years in the corporate um, department. And I just, it just wasn't the right fit for me. I'm, yeah. not, I'm not a corporate chef. I wasn't designed to exist in that kind of structure to not have the culinary freedom to be able to do whatever I wanted to do. Right. Um, so after a couple of years of that, in um, 2016, I left my job uh, without really a plan of what I was going to do, I was just burnt out. Yeah, I was unemployed for the first time in my life for like six weeks, mm-hmm. and one day I got a phone call from these guys here in, in, in Winder, Georgia, and they told me they just opened up this restaurant, and that was three and a half years ago, and here I am. Yeah, and they so
0: they they just found you.
1: Yeah, it was it was kind of serendipity, is what I call mm-hmm. it. You know, um, the, the the owners had a vision to open up a restaurant here in the city. They they have a separate business as well with offices kind of around us. And, and this building was part of their office spaces and they thought it'd be really cool to, to have a, a small restaurant really uh, be great for the city of Winder. But they were, I guess, ill-prepared is not, I don't know if that's the right word to mm-hmm. use, but they're not really restaurant people. They're not yeah. restaurant owners. Yeah. So they really didn't have kind of a really formulated strong structure of a plan of exactly how they were going to do it. And so the um, one of the operating partners at the time, they've been open for two weeks and my resume was obviously out there on monster and indeed and whatnot. Mm -hmm. And I've been interviewing, but every job that was coming down my path was all corporate work. And I didn't want to go back into the corporate world. And, you know, I've been thinking about like, Oh, maybe I'll go into this restaurant sales. Maybe it's time for me to get out all, all these kitchens and whatnot. And they called me and they said, Hey, we opened this restaurant two weeks ago. We're kind of in over our heads. Mm. Uh, It's busier than we thought it was going to be the person we hired that we thought was going to be our kitchen manager or chef. was not the right fit for us at all. And you live in Loganville. Yeah. Um, I had moved to Loganville a few years earlier when my wife and I had our first child. Um, we left the city and I had been commuting back and forth. Sure. And then, you know, the chances of finding a chef in Loganville, Georgia, that close to Winder. Right. Um, so they said, will you please come and, and check it out and, and talk to us? And I literally said, Where, where's Winder? <laughs> yeah. like, uh, because, because I was an Atlanta guy and I'd lived in Atlanta for literally 15 years. Yeah. When we moved to Loganville, I never went past Loganville. Like if I needed something, I yeah. went back towards Atlanta because that's what I knew. So I came up here and I walked into the restaurant and it was just, it blew me away. It was absolutely stunning. Yeah. The restaurant is gorgeous. They did yeah. such a phenomenal job with it. And, you know, we, we had a great interview and I said, you know, I said, if you can give me the opportunity to have culinary freedom to do kind of whatever I want, mm-hmm. obviously within reason right. of, of the neighborhood and the area, I'll take the job. And they, they agreed on the spot and. You know, it was really like I said, it was kind of serendipity. They needed me yeah. as much as I needed them, right. and the relationship that I've built with with the owners over the last few years has been phenomenal. They're they're amazing people, and I, you know, I, I, I think that I, I oftentimes say that I kind of won the restaurant lottery. You know what, mm-hmm. what I mean? Like I found the perfect job right. for me, and I'll work here with these people in this restaurant for forever.
0: Yeah, and this, uh, as I said when we started, this is an area uh, I've I've said to several people just kind of being in this area, being in, in the world of real estate for 15 years now, downtown Brazelton, downtown Winder, if I was going to be doing anything to, you know, just build a great business and a great following for the long haul, those are the two areas that I would look at right now.
1: Yeah, you know, it's it's crazy. So I... Obviously, it's been three and a half years. So it's October, November, 2016 when I started, and and the change in the growth that we've seen in downtown Winder and Winder as a community in general, in those three and a half years. Obviously, I wasn't here before. I've heard the stories and I've talked to people about what Winder was like. It's it's amazing, you know. Yeah. Um, and and I have nostalgia for these little towns, mm-hmm. right? And I um and, and so do the owners uh, of the restaurant because they're reminiscent of my own childhood mm-hmm. and and these these beautiful North Georgia mountain towns have so much history yeah. and so much character in their buildings and in their personality and whatnot. And some of them are, have really gotten run down and Winder was one of them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you look at areas like, like downtown Lawrenceville, you look at not Snellville so much, cause it doesn't really have a downtown like yeah. that. You look at Monroe, you know, you, know, you look at Brazelton, you know, those areas, you know, they have completely redeveloped and changed yep. the entire downtown while still keeping the history of the buildings That's that are right. there. Yep. And and Winer's just, you know, it's a few years behind yep. them, but, but it has all the potential. The bones of the yeah. city are there. Yeah. It just requires people to come in. And I've said in, in many interviews, you know, we were the first of our kind here. I mean, we're still one of a kind in this whole area, what we do um, in the restaurant, but we were the first of our kind right here in winder to, to open up something like this. Yeah. Yeah. And when you're, when a town is revitalizing, you know, there's a, there's, it needs a critical mass, right? Mm-hmm. You need enough restaurants, right. businesses in downtown to draw people into the yep. city so they're walking around. Yep. They're, they're, they're bouncing from shop to shop or restaurant to restaurant. There's, there's a nightlife and a life happening within that city. Yeah. Um, but somebody's got to start that. There's yeah. got to be a spark for that. And so for us, I always said, you know, if we as the bistro – can be a beacon of light, like a lighthouse mm-hmm. to other business owners out there that have been thinking about wanting to do something and looking at the area of Winder and going, hey, maybe, maybe not. Right. They can look at us as an example and say, you know, if those guys can do it, yep. if they can succeed the way that they have, they can fight through the hard times in the beginning and mm-hmm. build a relationship with the community like they have, then we can do it too. Yeah. And now you're starting to see that and the city itself is starting to follow suit. You know, yeah. we've got new parks being built and we've got walking trails from Fort Yargo being installed Mm -hmm. and we've got there's going to be a farmers market in downtown Winder, mm-hmm. yep. God willing, yeah. um, starting yeah. starting in April, and there's right. going to be a food truck Saturday every Saturday, God willing, you know, starting in, in April. And so there's these downtown events are starting to happen, and you're seeing this revitalization. You can look around from the windows of where we're sitting right now, and you can see construction, yeah, literally happening in the buildings and the spaces around us yeah. that are being renovated and rejuvenated into what are going to eventually be restaurants and shops. You, you are spot on on
0: all of that. When I first moved here, the first time I went to the downtown square area in Gainesville, my first comment was... There needs to be more foot traffic, and this was 15 years ago. Sure, um, and I know the all of the folks in the you know the planning and the vision work uh, in in the city of Gainesville. You know they were they were watching towns like Greenville, South Carolina, and what they were doing in incorporating green space, incorporating you know locally owned uh, operated restaurants, retail shops. And if you look at the downtown square, of Gainesville now, it's completely different. Sure. Like the the shops the uh it, it is it is foot traffic friendly it's it's that's what the those downtown areas need and then uh it, you know like like greenville you've got uh, good use of green space around the downtown areas where people are going to come to you know, walk their dog, throw a Frisbee or whatever, and then stay in town and get lunch yep. and pick up a you know, a new shirt or a necklace or whatever. Exactly, so, yeah. Um, yeah, you're 100% right seeing all that. Uh, and this is my first time. So most of the time in these podcasts, I have been to the location before. You are unique in that I have had multiple people give like five-star reviews. And so I'm like, well... I can trust these people, <laughs> you know, sure. they don't steal me wrong. So you have this beautiful, like old world feel, but it's, uh, you just feel high end. You feel like it's open. It's just a warm environment. Uh, but it does have that, that classy, elegant feel that you want, uh, in your higher end restaurants.
1: Yeah. Um, you know, the building, obviously, like I said, you know, I was here for the construction phase of the restaurant. Mm-hmm. I've been here long enough that I know the history behind all of this. You know, This building um, and this space itself has a lot of history in the city of Winder. For 50 years, it was called Larry's Easy Pay, and it was kind of like a pawn shop um, slash all-purpose buy-it thing. And Larry, right. Larry Larry, like owned lots of property all around downtown Winder. He had a lawnmower repair business, and he had the pawn shop and all this stuff. And so there are people that come into this building now not so much three and a half years later, but when we first opened, they go, man, I I bought my first lawnmower here. You know, like, (laughs) I can't believe this is what it is. So, you know, the the building itself is well over, you know, a hundred years old. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, we have these beautifully, uh, these beautiful hardwood floors, these exposed brick brick walls, and all of this is, is majority of this is all original. Some of the floor had to be reconstructed because it was so bad, but I mean, the ceiling was caving in, all these brick walls were covered in sheet in layers of sheetrock. Yeah. Now we have, you know, these exposed signages. Like you can see paint on the sides of the walls yeah. where they're used to this building used to end here and now they've extended it, the building out. And you can see the original paint from, you know, whatever, 80 years ago, yeah. where they had some sort of mural on the wall. And then the owners wanted to bring in kind of this this chic Parisian feel to it. So you've mm-hmm. got these beautiful chandeliers and the giant mirrors. The the artwork literally came from a street artist in, in, in France wow. that they bought off the street and had shipped here on vacation, all the shiplap is original from the ceilings. Oh, wow. The, the giant barn doors are all original wood that they pulled out of the building mm. and then they repurposed to make that with. And they spent a lot of time doing this and it's just, it's, it is. It's a very cozy, warm, inviting space at night when the lights are dim and the candles are lit. It just feels cozy to you, Yeah. but but chic at the same time. Yeah. And then you, know, you get a lot of people that say, you know, you could, you could pick this restaurant up and stick it in, in Soho or on the yeah, east side in New York or whatnot, mm-hmm. and it would fit in absolutely perfectly. And they yep. can't believe that something like this exists in Winder, of all places, yeah. because three years ago, you would have never thought that. Right. So
0: let's talk a little bit about the, the menu for those who have not been here, don't know what kind of menu you have, because you've got some uh, very creative items on the menu, uh, both food and drinks. You guys have a nice... I don't want to say normal things, but things people have seen before, but then you've got some
1: really creative items as yeah. well. Yeah. So, my my philosophy with food is as it's grown mm-hmm. over the years and as I've gotten older, you know. I've never been one to want to over manipulate food, right? Mm-hmm. So, I've I've always been kind of very simple in my style and my approach to cuisine. And and when I came here living in Loganville and near Grayson, there was a restaurant in Grayson that unfortunately has closed down that was called Graft and Graph is this tiny little farm-to-table restaurant right in the middle of downtown Grayson, which really isn't a downtown, right. um, if, you've even, if you've ever been to Grayson. And I remember going there a few times and, and really loved what they had done there. And so when I came here, this vision that I had for, for recreating the bistro and, and its food and its menu was that real farm-to-table feel, right? Mm-hmm. And I thought to myself, unlike Atlanta or these big cities these, where, where, yes, they have access to almost whatever they want, I'm in a unique situation where I have access to farmers right. in, a, in a in a way that no one else does. Right. I don't have to call a purveyor and have that food got, get shipped to me. I can go to the farm myself and right. pick up the food if I want to. Literally the farm. L- literally yes. the farm, right? And they're so close yep. to us that I can order tiny amounts at a time, five pounds of this and eight pounds of this. And if I need more on Friday, right. I can call them and they'll either bring it to me or they'll put it in their drop box at the bottom of their driveway, yeah. and on my way into work, I can swing by and pick up vegetables yeah. and produce that were literally harvested 30 minutes earlier right. and washed and are waiting for me to bring into the restaurant. Right. And So I started calling farms, right? I yeah. started researching where farms were and calling farms and trying to find farms and started building these relationships. And it started small. Started with one farm and then two farms and three farms. And then it started to become this obsession for me. Yeah. And then I needed more farms. Yeah. And, and I got to a point where I, what I really wanted for the bistro was I wanted to be kind of the, what's the word I'm looking for? I wanted to be the standard, the yeah, gold kind of standard, flagship. the flagship of, yeah. of what farm to table in Georgia really means. Right. And so at this point, during peak season of the restaurant, and, 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 and we're talking like spring and, and fall when the, when the weather's perfect, and, and produce is really flowing in, about 80% of the product in our restaurant at any given time is local. And I mean local from the state of Georgia. Yeah. And local in the sense that some of it is literally five miles up the road. Right. And because of that, the menu has to work within those parameters of what we can get. So our chicken, our beef, our pork, our eggs, our honey, our flour, our wheat flour, our grits, our cornmeal, our honeycomb, our bee pollen, our produce. Mm -hmm. You know, all of these things are all from local farmers. And it's literally like when you place orders, it's, hey, Matt Fry from Fry Family Farm. Yeah. You got to call, I'm calling the farmers directly to place these orders. And, and the menu has to change and adapt based off of what's available to us. Yeah. So if the weather changes, it rains too much, and all the lettuce rots, I got to change the menu because of that. Right. And I got to do all the fly. If the okra is beautiful and then the deer come through and eat all the okra off of all the plants, and I get a phone call the next day that says, hey man, the okra crop just got decimated by deer, then yeah. okra has to come off the menu. And yeah. so I try to work within that. And what I really want to do is I want to. I want to focus on showcasing the food itself that's grown by the farmers and raised by the farmers and created by the artisans around us, whether it's bakers and cheesemakers. So, so the food is of, of, it's kind of simple. It's, yeah. it's, it's simple in that style, and it's very Southern with kind of these European international influences in it here and mm-hmm. there. And I always say that the bistro and its food and what it is... Is a sum of many parts. Mm-hmm. It's not what we do here at the bistro, and what we—yes, our job is to manipulate food and create food and cook it, and put it on a plate. And, and I'll never take credit for all of that, although guests will always say, "Well, you did—you had a part in it." Yeah. But it's the farmers that came before us. They put in all these hours, these countless hours of work, mm-hmm. to be able to provide us with this beautiful food that we get. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we have things as simple as beautiful whole roasted chicken from Springer Mountain Farms. It's a very yeah. simple brine, whole or half roasted chicken that comes with a selection of local vegetables that changes all the time. Um, We do a Osmo Island pork meatloaf currently right now where we get whole hogs that are Osmo Island hogs from Osmo Island, Georgia. Uh, It's a very special kind of pig. There's very few people in the world or in the area that could produce them or growing them, one that I really know of. uh, And we get the whole hog in. Mm -hmm. We get a delivery. We get a 115-pound hog delivered to us from head to tail. And we utilize every part of that, mostly in that dish. We make bacon out of the belly, we grind the meat up and we grind the bacon up and we put that together and we make the meatloaf out of it we roast the bones to make the stock out of to yeah. make the sauce out of um, the skin gets you know boiled and dehydrated and turned into chicharrones for our bar menu mm-hmm. you know we, we the, the jaws get removed and get turned into guanciale. and so when we're done with that pig and we've processed that pig we've literally used all of it yeah every piece of it gets used in some way shape or form you know we we our beef all comes comes from Brasstown beef which is located in Blairsville on the border, right. kind of into, into, North Carolina. Um, so, you know, we have our ribeye and we have our, our filet that come from there. Um, uh, our shrimp is all Gulf shrimp for our shrimp and grits. All of our grits come from, um, Dayspring Farms, which is located in Danielsville, Georgia, which grows all of our wheat, does all of our flour. They mill on site. Mm-hmm. When I, when, when I place my order on Monday for Tuesday delivery, they mill my wheat, my flour, wow. my grits, all that stuff. They mill it right then and there like that day yeah. and they bring it to me fresh and so we really try to make sure that whatever we're serving on the menu is showcasing the work that those guys have done before us yeah in a, in a way that um isn't overly complicated and it's yeah. food that people understand you yeah. know but there are definitely items that i've done whether it's a wine dinner or um or a new year's eve menu or a valentine's day menu where people are all like i can't believe you're not going to serve that no one's going to buy that here i remember at one point <laughs> i put a, a whole roasted fish on the menu i i like a whole fish, oh, yes. head, tail, bones, skin, the whole nine yards. And I remember our bar manager Eric, who does a phenomenal job with our wines and our and our liquor program, looking at me and saying, I was going to buy that?" <laughs> and it sold like crazy. Yeah. And he, I remember him saying, "Like I, I stand corrected." So. You know, I, I like to say that I'm the culinary guru of Winder, Georgia and Barrow mm. County. And then if I tell you to eat it, you'll eat it. Yeah, <laughs> sometimes that works. <laughs> sometimes it doesn't, uh, but mostly it does.
0: Yeah. What's your, so this may be an unfair question because uh, of all the things that you've just shared and, and how your menu does pivot from time to time. What's your favorite thing on the menu? That or is, the, what, or maybe if it's if that's an
1: unfair question, what's one of the mo- more popular things on the menu? Dude, the shrimp and grits sells really well. Mm-hmm. And the shrimp and grits always sells well. I really like this dish because it it showcases so many pieces yeah. of, of the farm um, and, and the farmers what they do. So we make our own Tasso ham, which is like a kind of a Louisiana style mm-hmm. spicy cured smoked ham out of the Osbyland pork. Mm-hmm. The grits come from Day Spring Farms, but we did something different with that. Instead of just doing creamy grits, I, I really wanted want- to kind of figure out a way to create a hush puppy out of grits. Hmm. Um, We take uh, the gluten-free issues here at the Bistro really seriously. So everything that we fry at the Bistro is gluten-free. Oh, wow. So I had to figure out how to um, make a hush puppy out of grits without using flour in in any way, shape, or form. So now we have got these gluten-free grits that are crunchy on the outside. They look like hush puppies when you break them open. They've got these creamy goat cheese grits in the center. And then we've got this kind of spicy tasso ham gravy with a grilled oh, yes. um, gulf shrimp on there. So that's well, a really popular dish that people really love, and it sells very well. The meatloaf is great. Um, I, love, I love meatloaf. Mm-hmm. I joke around when people eat it, and they tell me how good it is, and I always say, you, you, you can tell me if you want to, but is it better than your wife's meatloaf? <laughs> um, and then the, the chicken. The chicken's one of the items that's been on the menu since day one. Yeah. And I think that there's something really beautiful about a perfectly roasted chicken. Mm-hmm. Um, it's so simple, uh, but yet so elegant. Mm-hmm. And if it's done properly with mm-hmm. quality ingredients, um, it can just, it's just a thing of beauty.
0: Let's pivot for, for just a second. Uh, so when we uh, we sat down, one of the things with all of what is going on in our modern world with coronavirus and everything, uh, that I wanted to just take a minute and talk about how, because the restaurant industry obviously is one of the most impacted sure. and, and most immediate hit you know, maybe with the exception of the airline and cruise industry, where people just up and abandoned things, you know, the well, same they, day they they have a lot more money to yeah. weather the storm. I think yes, yeah, yeah. than than a, <laughs> a small independent restaurant. Yes, fair do. fair statement from your perspective, and I'll kind of share mine. Part of the whole reason that I started the podcast was there are so many great options, regardless of what price point you're looking to eat in, that are in our community. But as as you've just said you guys are you're not just supporting yourselves you're you know you're tied in uh to the community to the community to literally the community. literally
1: to the community you know the last um, the last week and a half for obviously everyone in this country you know has been uh difficult yeah. eye opening and and nerve wracking when you're a small restaurant tour I'm not the owner of the business but the the owners treat me like I am. Yeah, you clearly I, I, have some ownership. I, in this. I feel I, I have vested ownership yeah. in it, whether my name is on the lease or not. Right. You know, I'm, this is as much mine as it is anybody's. and I believe in what we do here and I believe in the community a great deal. And so when you're looking at that and you're looking at not just your staff, which is obviously a huge piece of it, but you're looking at the, the farmers that you support, Right. you know, th- these are small local farms that we're buying, you know, hundreds of dollars or more worth of produce from, Um, and beef and chicken and whatever a a week and and now we're not and right it's scary it's a scary time and it's 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 hard there was some very hard phone calls that were made in the last week to to really great people that by no fault of their own are in a position that's very very difficult yeah we will as the bistro we will weather this storm Mm -hmm. Um, our owners are committed and, and and luckily for us they have the ability because they own the buildings yeah. and they don't have landlords that they have to answer to. They, they have the ability to weather this storm. Yeah. And when this is all said and done, the bistro and the lobby, our sister restaurant next door will both reopen, mm-hmm. which is amazing. And so the silver lining on that cloud to be able to, you know, when you're calling your staff and you're saying, Hey guys, I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm sorry. But you know, we're going to file the unemployment paperwork for you. You're going to yeah. get the benefits that have been passed by the government or whatnot to help you guys out through this hard time. But the good news is, is that when this is all over, You're gonna have jobs again. Yeah, there are hundreds of thousands of restaurants out there that are gonna close their doors over the course of the next two weeks or three weeks. Yeah, and they'll never reopen them again. Yeah, you know, chefs, independent restaurateurs that poured their life and their money and their dreams into these spaces, and it's heart-wrenching. It's it's it really is heart-wrenching. And from a community, you know, we all are responsible for helping each other at this point. You know, love your family, help your neighbor try to be a better person than you were 3 weeks ago. Right. So, you know, I am constantly promoting my farmers. Um right. yesterday, you know, much like the rest of the world, my my overly concerned wife was smart and she went out and she bought a ridiculous amount of groceries about Three weeks ago, before all this stuff happened, right? (laughs) Right. So we really haven't had to go to the grocery store at all. Right. But you can't buy a lot of produce like that because produce is going to go bad in your fridge. Yesterday, I opened the fridge up and said, uh, "You know, we're going to need some produce soon." So I'm not going to Publix to buy produce. They don't need my money. Right. Fry Farm or Finch Creek Farm. They 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 need my money, and so I called up my farmer and said, "Hey, man." Um, you know, I have your current availability list. Will you build me a harvest box, whatever you want right. and let me know how much it's going to be and I'll pick it up tomorrow. And that's what I did. I drove by the farm yesterday and I picked up a harvest box yeah. and that's what's in my fridge now. Beets yeah. and rainbow carrots and, and shard and kale and, um, you know, um, radishes and, you know, all kinds of, all, all kinds of beautiful produce. And, and I would encourage on that side of things that anyone that lives in a community, where they have the opportunity or the ability to access farms, or they used to shop at farmers markets to get their eggs right. or their honey or their produce of any kind, all those markets are going to be closed down. Yeah. You can still find those farms. Yeah. Just it just it takes a little bit of research on the internet to find out what local farms are around you and give them a call yeah. and see if you can go pick up from the farm. Yeah. And support them however you can. Yeah. Um, we are blessed that the community, you know, we we believe in this community. We've helped support this community. Um, We've donated uh, charitable donations to the community in Mm -hmm. in many ways. And and I think that we're going to be blessed that the community is going to return that to us. We decided decided to close the dining room down on Tuesday. And it took us a couple of days to kind of process that and figure out what our plan was moving forward. And we decided that starting today, officially, Thursday the 19th, Um, we were gonna start doing the curbside pickup Mm -hmm. for multiple reasons one of them is because any kind of revenue we can bring right now helps sure um two there's all this food in our coolers that we don't want to go bad and we don't want to throw it away i mean obviously we will donate that before that will happen right so we we created a menu based off what we had and what we could conceivably do for curbside pickup with the skeleton crew that we've got Mm -hmm. and we put that out into social media email blasts all of our people and the response that we received in the Eight hours since that post went live. Yeah, now, that post has been shared over a hundred times. Wow. It's been viewed by over 12,000 people, I think. It's got over 50 comments on it. And so I'm hoping that that's not just all talk, yeah. but the community really is going to kind of come together and they're going to help support us mm-hmm. through these hard times in the same way that we would support them when they when they need the help. Yeah. And that's what community is all about. Yeah. And that's so many
0: so many good points. The, the other thing that I would uh, share in conjunction with that, or maybe in, in, I guess in tandem with that, is one, from the, from the produce perspective and just to get real practical, uh, the, the more fresh your, what you're putting in and organic, what you're putting in your body, the better your body functions uh, in, in of all of its functions and obviously fighting off disease. So sure. it's, it's a literally a win-win. Well, and you're uh, not
1: going, I mean, there are certain things that you can't get from your local farmer that right. you may need, right? right. Like you're not going to be able to buy potatoes this time of year this from of your, year. from right. your local farmer, right? So you're, Yes, you're going to have to go to the store. In the world that we live in right now, it's everyone's responsibility, obviously, to try to this whole social distancing thing, right? Yeah. Whatever we can do to avoid human contact, unfortunately, right now, is the best for everybody. Right. And so if you can go to your local farm yep. and pick up produce, or a couple of different local farms, you know, drive around town for the afternoon and go get honey, go get eggs, go get produce, whatever the case may be, from three or four different local farms, and avoid an unnecessary trip to the grocery store... Right you're not in an environment where you're surrounded by hundreds of other people that are all buying things, touching carts and doors and produce that's already been touched and whatnot. All of those things help. And so you're right. It's a win-win. You're giving your body better stuff. Yeah. You're supporting your local community and your local farmers that need the help more now than anybody does. Mm -hmm. And you're avoiding... The people that you don't need to be around right now um, yeah. in order to help curb this and, and get us all past it. Yeah. And,
0: and the, the I guess the last thing is, you know, when when all this is passed, like you said, there are going to be um, restaurants and small businesses everywhere that are, are not going to be there in, in four weeks. Yep. Um, and, and unfortunately, there's there's not a whole lot that some of us can do about that right now. What we can do is when when this passes, when you have the opportunity or the options to go to different places, in and frankly, in, in all sorts of different price points, you know, make a decision that you are going to consciously support a, a local restaurant or local business, because frankly, any of the things that are on this podcast you're, are going to be better than anything you're going to get from a chain restaurant, regardless of what price point you're in. Of course. Um, but also you're going to be giving uh, those restaurants, those employees a boost that they so desperately need. And frankly, you're, when you, once you
1: try them, you will come back because they're all amazing. And there's, and there's things that you can do now as well. Mm-hmm. You know, there's not a lot, but there are things that you can do. There are lots of local restaurants out there on Facebook and, and social media that have created GoFundMe pages for their staff. Yeah. Um, if you've got the financial wherewithal, you've got the ability to do it and you believe or love a small local restaurant within your community, find them on Facebook and see what they're doing. If you can donate anything to a GoFundMe page in a certain way that goes towards the staff that's been furloughed or laid off or All however right. you want to look at it right now, those things help. If, there's, if they're doing curbside pickup, life is hard right now and money is tight for everybody or will be very soon. Yeah. But when you're at home from eight o'clock in the morning till five o'clock in the evening or three o'clock in the afternoon. And you're trying to work from home and homeschool your two small children. Right. You probably don't have time to put a proper meal together. That's healthy and fresh and good. You're going to stick a frozen pizza in the oven or you can call your local restaurant. Right. And you can, if they've got curbside pickup, get in the car and drive out there. You know, they're taking the precautions. They're wearing gloves. They're wearing masks. They're going to come out there. They're going to give it to you as much contact free as possible. and, And, you know, and support them in that way. Right. Or buy a gift certificate. That's mm. a huge thing that people can do right now. Is that, That's
0: a great idea. You know, if, if your
1: restaurant is, is, is closed down or they're doing curbside only at the moment, you want to support them, but you don't want to go out and get food from them, yep. buy a $50 gift certificate. Buy a $100 gift certificate. Give them that money now to right. put into their bank accounts to use so they can keep the lights on and keep the restaurant open and pay a few people at the moment. And then when things get back to normal and the dining room reopens – then yep. you come back and you go, hey, you know what? I got this $50 gift card that I bought, or this $100 gift card. I'm going to go in there with a group of six people or eight people, and we're going to use that $100 gift card, and we're going to spend another $200 on top of that to help support these guys right. and get them back on their feet to where they go. And that's a really easy way to be able to contribute to your small local restaurants yep. without even having to step foot in the door, not having to buy food, great, not having to deal with anything. Just buy, buy a gift idea. card. Yeah, It's huge. That's and awesome. every, every dollar right now helps us yeah. and all the other restaurants that are out there right yeah. now that are struggling. Awesome.
0: All right, so I know we're coming up on lunch hour, so I don't want to take uh, too much more of your time. Uh, One of the things I like to do in every episode is what I call the lightning round, uh, which is usually Mm -hmm. right before we wrap up. So today's lightning round question is a question that hasn't have, these questions don't have anything to do with anything. (laughs) It's just fun questions that I come up with. Okay. All right, so the topic of this one is called Polar Platinum. The question is which musical artist would have better odds of going platinum in the polar opposite genre? than where they've already gone platinum. So your options are Snoop Dogg going country or Zach Brown going
1: hip-hop. Who's got better odds of going platinum? Uh, I would say Snoop Dogg going country for sure because I would, (laughs) based off of what country music these days is like, it's, you know, there's way more country fans that will listen to hip-hop yes. than hip-hop fans that are going to listen
0: to country. I 100% <laughs> agree. Yes, that is cor- the correct answer. <laughs> so, okay, so uh, let's wrap up with how do people find you uh, when things get back, to,
1: your dining room is back open, reservations required? Yeah, you can find us on Resy. For reservations, so rezi.com, You can do online reservations. You can follow us on Facebook, Bistroff Broad. You can follow us on Instagram, at Bistroff Broad. Um, Our sister restaurant, Lobby at Thematics, has a Facebook page as well, and Instagram as well. Um, You can call the restaurant. You can Google us. All the information is there that you need. We're located right in the heart of downtown Winder, Um, and we're we're here with Curbside. We're here to... To feed you guys in the future and to help support the community yeah
0: super easy to find beautiful atmosphere and uh i can't wait to uh to try the food so awesome uh, chef Alec. uh alex thanks for your time and with that we'll wrap
1: up i appreciate you thanks
0: this is the north georgia life podcast embrace life where you live